just want to open up by saying I am very, very aware as we address our topic today that I will probably not say some things that you would hope that I would have said. You know what's exciting about that? Those things you already knew. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the fall, how uh, relationship was broken in the Garden of Eden, how relationship was broken and continues to be broken unless Jesus. So there's a, a bunch of things, uh, may I put in the theological category, that you'll think, well, why didn't he say that? Well, there could be two reasons. He didn't think about that, or he probably figured you already knew that. And what I want to deal with is the, uh, the importance of the acknowledgement of some of the really simple truths that we can learn out of chapter 3 and parts of chapter 2. So we jump into Genesis chapter 3. If you have uh, your Bibles, please open them there. It's the historical account revealed by God of how sin enters our world. Not the most popular term in our world today, and from a preacher's perspective, not something we talk about possibly enough. But I believe it's important for us to not miss this as part of our series. You can go a little bit deeper, actually, uh, with the small group series. So you, with the uh, small book, study book, you can, uh, all your life groups or individually, you can take that at face value, read it through, ask the questions, but you can also dive in deeper. Uh, you know, you don't need my permission or anybody else's permission to go where your study group feels like it needs to go guided by the topic. Why is it important? Pretty important to get a handle on it. And I personally believe it's important because without it, Jesus doesn't need to go to the cross. If we don't have a sin problem, we don't need Easter. So it's at the centre of understanding the human condition. And it may seem a bit raw or, and insensitive even to say that I'm somehow warped in my humanity, that everything I do is tainted by sin, because Christians do a lot of good things. But the Bible tells me that I must be restored. And if the Bible tells me I must be restored, it deduces or provides a presupposition that something is broken. So this whole idea of sin coming into our world can leave you feeling a bit yuck. Or it gives you hope. And I want to start today by saying very clearly that knowing the doctrine of sin and having a handle on it will give you hope. But before we think about how it might give us hope, I want you to think about the way you see people behave. What sorts of reactions do you see from people who do the wrong thing, perceived by you to be the wrong thing? Don't we see people trying to explain away their failures? 
Don't we see people often raising excuses or giving reasons that are otherwise known as excuses? To justify the thing that you perceive to be wrong about their behaviour or maybe their speech. Uh, I get all sorts of things come my way. Sometimes it's the fault of their upbringing. Sometimes it's some genuine trauma. Uh, Some will say they did what was totally out of character for them and who they really are. And I've even had some blame their doctor for prescribing the wrong drugs. You know, even when we're willing to admit that we have issues that sometimes injure others or bring hurt upon others, we're often told that you shouldn't be so concerned about that because you need to build up your self-esteem. It's not your fault. I guess my starting question is, Is that true? Is that the case? Or do we actually need to take some greater responsibility for life choices? You see, if we understand ourselves as flawed human beings, or if I use Bible language, if we agree with God that we are sinners, it'll help us to forgive others, treat others with patience, give understanding to others and ask for forgiveness of others if we fall into error. If we're willing to admit that we have failings, then it'll make it easier to accept everyone else who we've always known also have failings. So the Christian doctrine of sin can be a great source of hope. I need to ask the question, what is sin? And I believe essentially it's wanting to replace God with something else. Soren Kierkegaard defines sin as not wanting to be oneself before God. That is, it's wanting to have an identity apart from God and keeping God at a distance so I can do it my way. It works itself out in us trying to fill the God-shaped hole within us with anything we can find that might divert us from the real issue. In essence, it's avoiding God and his way. So it's not about breaking rules. Well, that's a surprise to some. Sin's not about breaking rules. It's actually about breaking relationship. The relationship God purposed for us to have with him has a break, which results in all other relationships also breaking down. Uh, Remember the the great commandment, love God, love others. And Jesus uh, makes that very clear also. It's not just an Old Testament thing. But not love God or not have God first leads to not loving others. So today I want us to get a clear picture of what happens when sin comes in. So uh, week one of our Genesis series saw that God created with purpose and pleasure in his creative power. He created intentionally. The Godhead got to work and created. And it was very good when God looked at man as he created us with intentionality and purpose and order. Six days of creation, ordered, all-purposed, perfect, and then man, and he says, it's very good. This is the relationship I was looking for, perfect balance. And today, believers should understand the biblical teaching of the progression of sin in our lives so it can be avoided. 
God reveals how original sin comes so we can know this and avoid its consequences. Every believer needs to know the allure of temptation, the acts, the attitude and the cost of sin so that it can be avoided. Yeah, pretty much at all costs, yeah? Because sin is enticing. My father-in-law is a fisherman. He doesn't go fishing anymore. He's a paraplegic these days, but he is a fantastic fisherman. He spent most of his life at Noosa and uh, professional fishing is in the blood. So he's serious about catching fish, not just going fishing. Now, there's a definition there. I want you to get that. Very serious about catching fish. Going fishing is a waste of time and energy. Catching fish is where it's at. Different for some, and that's okay. I've, I'm more the recreational fisherman, right? I'm, if I go fishing, I can toss in and like I'm expecting not to catch anything. But serious fishermen go fishing to catch fish. Therefore, Ted knows how to attract fish to the hook. And I can't remember ever going fishing with him without him catching a fish or 300. He applies the skill and guile to land the catch. He's studied it. He knows it. He's practiced it. He's good at it. He doesn't fail. Going fishing with Ted is something of an adventure. I do actually have several fishing stories, but that's for another day. The main practical takeaway, fish can be trapped and they can be taken. And if you know where they are and how to catch them, you can entice them. Do not underestimate that sin is enticing. That the person of evil can get you trapped. Sin has an allure, a fragrance, an aroma that draws us away from the safety of the Lord and into a trap, into deception. It's called temptation, but it's pure deception. Temptation in and of itself is not sin, but it is the fishing line and the bait used to draw us in to sin and sinfulness. So look at Genesis 3, 1 to 7. It says the serpent, and we know from uh, Revelation 12 that the, the serpent is in fact Satan, more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did you really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God say that? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, said the serpent to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Here is what the Lord God said to Adam back in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will surely die. There's a lot of truth found in this real conversation between the serpent and Eve. The problem is, it's partial and half-truths. Sin always begins with questioning God's word. And when uh, Pierre read that to us this morning from, from John's gospel, in the beginning was the word. Well, that's the person of Jesus. Sin always begins with questioning God's spoken word and God's personal being. Sin always begins with questioning God or moving truth around to make it say what you want. Satan's the best at it. We've just learned from him. Satan leads out with his deception by misrepresenting or may I say questioning the truth. He'll always question truth. Did God really say in Genesis 3.1, he twists the truth by questioning the truth. So Satan or the serpent questioned God's word and later challenges God's word with, you will not surely die in verse 4. The bottom line there. Satan's core business is questioning God. Our core business is to obey God. There's a distinctive there. He also tells Eve she will be like God. Even uh, Eve was given the ultimate temptation to be like God or to be God. And what could Eve have done to avoid the sin at this point? Relevant question. And I think a simple answer is she could have walked away and called on God. Adam and Eve had an intimate, personal, walking relationship with Almighty God in the Garden of Eden. It was purposed that way and that's how it was. Nothing separated them from him. Pretty awesome experience, yeah? Hard for us to grapple that. It's good theologically to understand it as a truth. Hard for us to really grapple with that. They both were getting ready to lose the greatest gift ever, walking with God in real communion. Sin was about to take that away. They were both about to take a fatal step. So I want to say to you that sin is an action step. When the woman, Genesis 3, 6, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And God had made it really clear that they shouldn't eat from this particular tree. But it's this whole don't do it thing in our human nature. It was hard for these first humans, like it's hard for all our young humans. 
or humans from every generation. Maybe you've heard this line, um, come here, you're not in trouble. Never played that one on your kids? <laughs> or uh, seen a child dealing with the words, don't darling, or no touching sweetie. That's kind of an invitation. Because of human nature, right? Not because that's a naughty child. Because of human nature. And as parents, we understand that. So we work with our children gently in order to give them opportunity to do things right. Sin ultimately requires an action on our part. And what was Eve's action? You know, she should have stepped back and, and away from the situation. But Eve stayed and listened. That was her first sin choice. She stayed in the moment long enough to get the message. She could look at the tree, but she couldn't eat it. And she decided to stay and listen, to see if there was a loophole Maybe something would work out really well for her. So instead of obedience, she chose questioning. And she stayed in the moment long enough for the enticing work of deception to captivate her. And verse 6 confirms what she already knows. The fruit was edible. It was pleasing to the eye and it could give wisdom. So she took a step forward and she ate. Now, nothing's changed. Sin hasn't become old-fashioned or outdated. It's still as dangerous at hindering our walk with God as it ever was. And staying long enough around a bad situation or people will hook you. Staying in the moment to investigate the question will mean you get caught. My experience, I'm surmising your experience too. It's still as dangerous as it ever was. Stay away and don't step into sin. If you go along to get along, you'll find yourself doing something that crosses a line. Sin loves company. So as we see in the Genesis account, Eve gives some to Adam and silly Adam eats the fruit. In their human sense, and careful, but in their human sense, sin pays off for them. In their human sense, they get what they wanted, just not what they needed. They did know the difference between good and evil. By eating the fruit in verse 22 at the bottom of the screen there, man did obtain the knowledge of good and evil and in this respect became like God. And up above in Genesis 3.7 it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves and made coverings for themselves. Unfortunately, they had to pay the price for sin as well. 
There was a consequence. Having only known good and God, they now know what sin is. So everything has changed. Right there in the garden, staying there long enough to ask the question meant they lost the game. So they experience a first awareness that something isn't right and it felt different and different wasn't good. Their relationship with their loving, caring creator was broken by sin. So I want to tell you, help you, recognize that sin is a disposition because what we have now as a result of sin is that we have an inherited disposition. It's not being in the right thinking or lifestyle. It's choosing to be in an alternate mindset to what God declares is right. Ultimately, sin is setting oneself up to be as God or to be God, to be number one, or to make your own judgment as to what is right. That's what Eve did, wasn't it? She accepted the message that what God literally said wasn't right. There's an alternative. It's the epitome of ego, the I, the me. It's total selfishness. And I actually remember back in my younger years when I was very young hearing someone say the root of all evil is selfishness. You know, not money. The root of all evil is selfishness. The sin attitude says I am my own. I realise that probably sounds very, very elevated or overemphasised, but hey, lived a long time and we can't water this down. Dangerous to water this down. I am that I am is how God describes himself. And if we do anything crossing the line of God's perfect standing, we remove him from that authority place in our lives. Dangerous. That's what sin does. Removes his authority. Separates us from him. So we place ourselves in that elevated position, uh, pushing God off the top shelf, so to speak. Yeah, I want to read a different manual. So I leave the Bible to the side. Dangerous. Fatal. Both Adam and Eve thought that they would be like God and unfortunately what they lost and passed on to us was their innocence. They now have knowledge that perhaps they didn't actually want. And the sin attitude says to all of us, I know better than God. So the enticement of sin is ultimately that if you sin, it will set you free or you get happiness or you get something from it. And unfortunately, all we get is brokenness. Firstly, brokenness in relationship with God, but what did we say earlier? Uh, relationship with God is broken, then the relationship with others is broken. And so we get brokenness right across our world. It results in a mess that's come really from originally and ongoing a sense of entitlement. 
That's inaccurate. Reality and experience says it binds us up and it enslaves us. Paul talks about how we are slaves to sin. And sin and the attitude of sin makes us a slave to whatever it is. It gives nothing, but it costs everything. That's what happens when sin comes in. It costs us everything. Relationships, health, wealth, and life itself. And all this leads to is a sliding down to the recognition recognition that there is disorder. Remember, God made everything perfectly ordered and aligned. God is ordered in his thinking and in his creating. He's perfect. He alone is perfect. It was ordered, and as a result of sin, we have disorder. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord, God, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They knew something had changed. There's a consequence for all sin. Right here, it seems like the first consequence leads to the absence of order that God had purposed. So disorder is part of broken relationship because God is ordered and perfect and order here is broken. Purpose is challenged. Sin, shame, guilt and broken relationships are the the results of sin. The first relationship destroyed what God had set in place. They hid from him. Their perfect relationship with him was now broken. And they not only destroyed their relationship with Almighty God, but they began to destroy their relationship with each other. The Lord asked how they knew that they were naked. And what follows their guilt and shame is blame. No one took responsibility, did they? They began blaming each other in three, Genesis 3.11. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat it from? Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. It was the serpent's fault. Experiencing the same guilt and shame begins, she blames the tempter. So we didn't invent avoidance or blaming something or someone. I think that one belongs to people of all generations right back to the garden. So, you know, we're not inventors of passing the buck. She says that a serpent deceived me. That's all she can think at the time. And that was absolutely true. But have you heard, uh, you know, the devil made me do it? The devil may tempt, but ultimately it's always our choice to step into sin. The truth was that God had given them a command not to eat of that tree. And Eve shows the problem with all of us is faith. Adam points the finger at God, then Eve. Eve pointed her finger at the serpent. And the joke goes, the serpent didn't have any fingers to point. But the whole thing was a blame game. Every relationship was destroyed by the sin of man. 
You know, silly Adam and Eve sinning in the garden meant they just took the bait that was presented to them. And somehow, even if, uh, you know, I was to say, well, if they didn't do that, we would have been okay. Have you ever thought that? If Adam and Eve hadn't fallen, we'd be okay. Um, I got a problem with that because I know myself and others well enough to know we've all fallen. <laughs> all right. If not for them, would have been, well, me, if, if it had survived that long. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the absolutely amazing truth is that even in the midst of sin coming in, God doesn't abandon us. God made a way through Jesus. God exercises his plan of salvation. Sin's power is absolutely crushed. And if we read from Romans chapter 8, God's mercy and grace have smashed Satan's and sin's hold over us. In verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 1 of Romans, it says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful men in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. Through Jesus, we all have the opportunity to be free of sin and death. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? I think it's good for us to have an understanding of the doctrine of sin, but it is wonderful for us to know that God has a salvation plan for every one of us. And praise God, praise God, because without God's mercy and grace, I am done for. So God dealt with the issue. But I stand here and I have to acknowledge that some responsibility still lies with me with us. Temptation will still be with us all, believers included, until Christ returns. And as believers, how can we change the outcome in our lives when confronted with temptation? Well, here's the first one. We need to know God's word and obey it. True? In the Garden of Eden, they knew what God had said. We got that clarified in the narrative, right? As the story unfolds, we know they don't make an error because sin is not an error. Sin's not a mistake. They chose to allow the servant to twist it. I think everyone's human, so you're a little bit like me. I'm a master at twisting it, if that's how I want to behave. But to know God's word and obey it turns me from the twist. You get that? Gives me, because I, temptation will be there, and in a split second, I need to acknowledge that. I see it, I know it, 
I'm going to step back and not forwards towards it. Is that not an action step that we take? So know God's word and get away from it. Don't think you can manage sin or think you're stronger. Get away and call upon the Lord. Remember from earlier, Eve listened and kept listening. David looked at Bathsheba and he kept looking. So when temptation comes our way, we first need to step back. Walk away. Walk away. Don't stand and look, listen or play. Stand firm on God's word, trust in him, desire his will in your life and recognise you have one word added to your vocabulary that you didn't have before and that is no. No, I will not. I will follow God. Satan made the promise and Eve stepped in. So did Adam. And the most important part of this historical fact is that, is that under God's sovereign plan paved away for the fact that we can come back to God. Confession, repentance, repentance actually meaning turning back. And in the context of repentance before God, we're turning back towards God. You get that? So we're turning away from sin and we're going towards God. That is repentance. It's an act of the heart and it needs your feet and hands involved along with your eyes. So here's where we finish. It's, it is an absolutely ordained, amazing truth. Grace and forgiveness floods in where sin could keep you captive, we get grace and forgiveness. Isn't that beautiful? In verse 14 of Romans 5, it explains that sin and death was introduced into a perfect creation and ever since has been reigning in the world. And God's salvation plan is through Jesus that in verse 17, grace and righteousness are reigning now through Christ. The precious blood of Jesus. So Genesis and especially the consequence of fallen people into death requires a recovery plan from God and we have it at the cross. God's salvation comes through Jesus. Faith in Jesus moves us out from Adam and into Christ. You want to take that one home? Faith through Jesus takes us away from Adam and into Christ. Second Adam, the way Adam was originally meant to live. And we are accepted in his grace and forgiveness. Shall we pray? Would you like to stand for prayer? Father, I want to thank you for the Genesis story. I want to thank you for the account even in the garden, because it reminds us of how feeble we are, but the authority of God over our lives brings us into freedom, brings us into grace, brings us an experience of forgiveness. It's open to all. And I pray, Lord, 
that you would give us this sense of your desire for us so that we can continue to live to your glory, we pray. Amen.